Hey, welcome to episode 59 of Shit We Don't Talk About, powered by Helix Interactive. My guest is Brianna Pricker, a freelance journalist whose work has been featured in Newsday, Elle, Good Housekeeping, Bitch Media, and most recently, Shondaland. She also has an autoimmune deficiency, and today we'll be talking about invisible disabilities. As always, there's an accessibility transcript that can be found in the show notes at shitwedonttalkaboutpodcast.com. All right, strap in. It gets good. Here we go. Hi, Brianna. Hi, Mia. So excited to talk with you today. (laughs) Yes. If you're watching on the video, when we eventually upload it, we all both have our rescue dogs with us. And I know that your rescue pup is part of your brand and your story as well, which I love. I also love that you're, you are the, what's the emotional support human for your dog. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I try to be, that is all that I want in the world is to be emotional support for my baby. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I love it. Well, thank you for joining us today. I already did an intro to for you at the beginning of the podcast, but this topic is something I haven't covered yet. And that is obviously things that are invisible illnesses and disabilities. And I, I, I obviously we need to talk about it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Disability. I mean, it's, there's so many disabilities affect 25% of the population, um, wow. which is yeah, which you don't realize because you don't see disability portrayed very much in the media. Um, and if you do, it's often by someone who's not disabled, so doesn't know the experience. Um, but disabilities run the gamut of so many things. There's visible disabilities and there's invisible disabilities. I happen to have an invisible one. And I pulled this up, actually, I fell down the rabbit hole on one of your articles, uh, so I'm going to put all of the links in the show notes, by the way, go to shit. We don't talk about podcast.com because you've written at least 38 or 39 articles for different, pretty impressive, uh, avenues or, or different places that, that you've been posted. So L magazine was one. And one of them, I fell down the rabbit hole and it said the term invisible disability or invisible illness is used to describe any condition that stereotypically doesn't present in a physical way. It was previously used for chronic illnesses, but in recent years also been expanded to mental health, gynecological conditions. We could talk forever about that one (laughs) and neurodiverse conditions. So lupus, endometriosis, osteoporosis, rheumatoid arthritis, dyspraxia, migraine. I could go on and on, but I just wanted to have that out there because I think the term gets bandied about, but a lot of people don't understand it. Yeah. And it's a little bit weird too, that they say that it's, uh, illness that doesn't pre- present in a physical way because mm-hmm. that's kind of how it started because um, there was hysteria back in ancient Greece and pretty much um, women who had any physical ailment that couldn't be easily explained. Um, women were told they were hysterical, that they had hysteria and that it was all in their head. Um, and the explanation for any physical ailment that affected someone with a uterus was that, oh, your, your uterus is wandering around your body. It was the wandering womb syndrome. Are you kidding me? Okay, Literally. I was this many years old when I just found out that bullshit. <laughs> yes, like exactly. it's traveling around your body like a it's weird- tra- <laughs> Yes, your womb is literally traveling around your body, which why the hell does anyone think that if your womb is literally traveling, meandering around your body, that that would, wouldn't cause you physical pain? 
that it's just an emotional thing. If you're my, if my womb is literally wandering around my body, I think that would be pretty damn painful. Yeah. Um, like my womb is up here in my shoulder causing me like uh-huh. some, some, some big pain. And it, and it's interesting. I did read about that with hysteria in a book called Cassandra speaks that I'm listening to on audible, which I highly recommend as well. Basically, you know, Cassandra is the one who could predict the future knew what was going to happen, but doomed for people to not listen. And I did learn that about our part of that about hysteria, but not the traveling womb part. So, oh my goodness, I can see where that's been around for millennia, if not more. Yeah. And well, I mean, multiple sclerosis, which is also an autoimmune disease, which is an invisible illness, so-called invisible illness, um, was thought to be a a form of hysteria back in the day. So it was just that, oh, you're stressed out. It's like, no, I have MS. My body is literally attacking myself and it's not all in my head. I'm not crazy. Um, What we now know to be an autoimmune disease, MS, was thought to be just, oh, I'm really stressed out. My womb is wandering all around my body and I just feel so weird right now. Mm. Um, But it's, and I say so-called invisible illness because it's not always that you can't see it. It's that, you know, for instance, I, you know, I'm not using a cane. I'm not in a wheelchair. Um, oftentimes, um, it's been a couple of years since I've had to do this, but I used to have to carry memory foam pillows with me everywhere I went. Um, and so that was the visible, visible part of my disability. Um, but I would take them with me to doctor's appointments because I have vasculitis. So it's an inflammation of the blood vessels. Um, Pretty much my immune system attacks my blood vessels for all sorts of reasons. Um, It happens when it's too hot out. It happens if I'm sitting in one position for too long. Um, It happens if there's any pressure points. So pretty much when I have to go to a doctor appointment where I'd have to sit on really uncomfortable, hard chairs in a waiting room for a really long time and not have my legs propped um, because it's hard for my legs to dangle because I can't get circulation back to my heart properly. That's really painful. So anyway, I would bring memory foam pillows to try to sit on the pillows and um, get the least amount of pressure on my blood vessels as possible. And I would literally have nurses there making fun of me like, oh, here comes the princess with her memory foam pillows. And it's like, you know, I don't have a cane, but this is what I need to make your office accessible for me. Um, So I shouldn't be being treated as though I spoiled and have to have my memory foam pillows with me it's literally one of the only ways I can survive this appointment without pain right right and that boy if I ever wanted to punch a nurse which is not often that would be (laughs) one of those times because oh my gosh it's just it's just so thoughtless in that sense for one and then two you know which I I love one of the articles that, that you read was talking about not being, you know, women speaking up and not being, having to be a nice person. And I would think that that, that has to go in with it too, of like, Hey, no, you know what? Pump your brakes. You don't know what's going on with me. Why don't you take a chance to, you know, a second to ask about that, which I have done a a podcast on medical gaslighting. And I swear that's got to be in it as well too, because yours also is an invisible disability or illness that it doesn't, I've never heard of it before. Could you tell me the name of it again? I have Sjogren's syndrome, which is, it's, it's crazy. The lack of information that is out there because autoimmune diseases um, affect 50 million people and 75% of them are women. So 
we have a huge really? gender bi- we have a oh. huge gender bias there in terms yes. of in terms of medical research in terms of money going into researching these diseases that primarily affect women 75% out of 50 million people is a huge number um, mm. that is um, it's just it's ridiculous when you think about it, because often I'm told that, my, you know, you say you haven't heard of my disease, um, but I've been told since I was a kid, I'm still told now how rare my disease is. And yes, um, it could be thought of as slightly rare, but if you actually look up the numbers, it's really not as rare as doctors are telling me it is. When I go to my support groups um, on Facebook of other people who have Chogren syndrome or who have vasculitis, there are so many people who are experiencing all the things that I've experienced since I was a kid, who doctors tell me, oh, that doesn't happen with what you have. That doesn't happen. But there's like hundreds of thousands of people in my groups that this is happening to. So one of the problems is that um, there's a gender bias. Um, Mm -hmm. Autoimmune diseases primarily affect, um, you know, people with uteruses, um, Mm -hmm. women mostly. um, And there is such a, it's not really so much that these diseases are, diseases are rare, it's that they are completely underfunded and under-researched because of the gender that they primarily affect. And so I would think it, underdiagnosed as well. Like you just said that, that you talk with people, this would be interesting. You probably show up that you're talking with people. Yes. Maybe that specifically know the name of it, but probably more about the symptoms, right? When you're in their groups and they, I can't imagine the number of people who are undiagnosed simply based on the fact that they're not believed. They're not believed and doctors don't know about it. I mean, I'm, you know, seeing the top, supposedly top team of rheumatologists in, you know, Los Angeles right now, but, you know, there are, just like you said, you're asking at the beginning, do you have lupus? Um, I don't, but it's in the same category and people nowadays are more likely to know what lupus is or maybe multiple sclerosis or rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. Um, but Sjogren's syndrome and vasculitis, even, you know, the top, supposedly top rheumatologists, you know, their focus is on the ones that people know about more nowadays, like lupus, like MS. Um, and there's just such a lack of knowledge. I mean, just saying, um, going back to the support groups on Facebook, just to have so many doctors tell me like, no, your disease could not cause this, this, this symptom and that symptom. No, it could not be from that. Just to go in my groups and like hundreds of thousands of people are having these exact same symptoms. Um, you know, there's a problem there that these supposedly top professionals have no idea that, um, that Sjogren's syndrome could cause this, that vasculitis could cause this. And I always need to add this in when we talk about any kind of, any kind of biases, take what we're talking about and we are two white women. So then you multiply that as, as black and brown women and what they go through as well. And I've spoken about this many times on the podcast and I I speak about it frequently in conversations of just take that number and, and multiply it. And it's, it'll, it'll throw you the amount of people who are not believed. And I was reading an article today. It was a woman talking about, um, losing weight. And she said, I kept getting told at the doctor, you just need to lose weight. You just need to lose mm-hmm. weight. And so they would never talk to her specifically, or they would listen very briefly to what her symptoms were. And they just all put it on this, you know, body mass and BMI and, and the weight thing. And so then she goes and loses 60 pounds and they said, okay. And so they automatically assumed that her symptoms would dissipate or disappear. And she's like, no, 
they're still here. And then it turns out that she had endometriosis. She had a bunch of different stuff. She ended up losing her ovaries because she wasn't believed from a year before. And it was just so interesting. And it it almost seemed simplistic to me when I was reading it, but she said, no, they literally would just not listen to anything until she lost the weight. And so that, that gaslighting and that, that lack of, of belief is, is really tough. What do you feel like in your group? Are you all able to, and I want to hear some stories too. You know what I told you when we were getting ready for this, I said, just tell me all the dumb shit that people say. And I know you're going (laughs) to give me a couple of stories because that is shit we don't talk about as well too. And I think for those of us who don't have invisible disabilities, that's got to be part of it. One that everybody starts to bond together who are suffering from this and having conversations and encouraging one another, and then also getting people to help champion you as well. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, just thank you for bringing up that we're two white women because you're absolutely correct. Um, so many of these autoimmune diseases, it's not just that it primarily affects women. It's often that it primarily affects black and brown um, women. Certain of the autoimmune diseases are exponentially more people of color. Wow. Um, and also, um, another thing is that I'm saying that so many of these doctors who are supposedly top in their field, they don't know what uh, they don't know much about my particular disease and what it looks like and what can affect it. Um, but what's crazy and even more messed up is that when they actually are in school, they're looking at these diseases, what they look like on white skin. So vasculitis on white skin, primarily, like exclusively. Yeah. You can't um, see my face if you're listening to it, but I was like, <laughs> oh my God, that's so true. That is so, so, me- so, so true. It's so messed up. Like if you look up vasculitis on Google, you'll probably see that it looks like um, red splotches or purple splotches um, because pretty much what happens is the blood vessels inflame um, and then they inflame so much that they break and then it leaks blood underneath the skin. So it's pretty much splotches of blood under the skin. Um, So it can look like bruises. It can look like bright red rashes. Um, But if you look up what it looks like on black skin, for instance, it's, you don't see that extreme flash of like, as though your your legs were beaten or your arms were beaten or wherever you have the vasculitis, there's not this bright red or um, extreme purple look to it. It's a, you can see like very, it's very, very, very minor in terms of it doesn't have that disgusting, like blood under the skin look. You see just like it's, you can see very, it's very subtle. It's almost like there's like a little bit of white pattern on the skin. So underneath the skin, this is all going on, like the blood vessels are breaking and it's leaking blood under the skin and there's internal bleeding, but it looks shockingly different on black skin versus white skin. And so as hard as it was for me to get diagnosed, I started getting vasculitis outbreaks when I was seven years old. I wasn't properly diagnosed until I was 17. So it took 10 years of being disbelieved. But that's with my skin looking all kinds of crazy, like all red and blue and beaten and swollen. Sometimes mm-hmm. my legs would swell to like triple their size. Um, but that's with the way it looks in white skin. So I want to appreciate the fact that you brought up how... Um, as much as it's hard for white women to get properly diagnosed, we're not even looking at what these diseases look like on black women or brown women. Um, Thank we're you not for that. It, yeah. We're not looking how it looks differently on different color skins. And that mm-hmm. is a gross negligence in our medical system. 
It really is what, I mean, that could be a whole entire show as well, because that is something that, and, and we don't know, I mean, talk about representation. And I, I did see a post recently of, and, and a friend had shared it, of a photograph of a medical photograph of a, uh, the kind of the, the cross cut of, of a black woman. And it was uh, a maternal photo of a photo of her pregnant. And, you know, the, the woman was just so excited to see something that was a medical picture, a medical description of that. And when you bring that up to, of like, just from the look of it, mm-hmm. that it looks different. So, you know, we all need to be aware of that. We can't, uh, we, we can't all rise individually. So talking about that and then helping people champion that and speak up. And it, and it's so hard to do. I just had my annual physical last week and I just kept reminding myself of, I had to keep going back in my head of the questions to ask because here I am snatch out with this paper gown on, right? And trying yeah. to form a <laughs> trying to form a thought while I'm trying to hold everything together. And and it just it was really interesting to even be in that in a from a healthy perspective. I felt I feel good. Um, and feel that vulnerable. Yeah, it's it's super, it's such a vulnerable position to be mm-hmm. in. Um, and it's hard to advocate for yourself, no matter what the situation is. I mean, you're just, you know, at a routine physical, um, and it's an incredibly vulnerable position in every sense of the word to be in. And um, especially if you're sick, if you're in pain, if you're not feeling well, it's very, very, very difficult to speak up for yourself and to have a conviction to say, you know, this isn't all in my head. You know, doctors told me, oh, it's just a rash. You're just very allergic to your, um, to your laundry detergent um, or you're very allergic to bug bites. Um, and so I would end up in the emergency room or urgent care over and over again. But I would be told, you know, no, that should just be itchy because it's a rash. You know, um, it shouldn't be painful. Well, it is painful. I'm telling you it's painful because literally my blood vessels are bursting and I'm getting an internal bleeding under my skin and that's pretty damn painful. Um, so don't tell me, you know, that it's just a rash and it should be itchy and it's in my head that it's painful. Um, <laughs> but we can go back to yeah, like what you're saying, like, like, like shit that people tell you because I mean, just to be told by doctors that, you know, I, I'm not in pain when I am in pain. And I was the story I was going to tell you was, was I was walking Ivy at the park, my dog Ivy, and a neighbor that I, that I recognized came up with her dog. And, you know, I thought, oh, this is going to be a nice little play date. Um, but she immediately sees that my legs are broken out in vasculitis. Um, and so she's like, oh, what's wrong over there? What's going on? Like, which is, first of all, a very rude way to begin a conversation. <laughs> just what, what's wrong what's wrong with you why do you look so ugly like, I mean I, I know that I know that people are a little off on their game with social being social social and socializing because of the pandemic but folks get your shit together oh my god seriously yes get your shit together um but so anyway well this is another point too because when I was in elementary school throughout college through at least most of my 20s I did my disease was pretty much invisible. I hid it under my clothes. Um, now I don't. And that's why um, this woman was like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? Because I would hide it under tight jeans, tight, wearing anything tight constricts my blood vessels. It makes me break under vasculitis. Um, so I can't wear any tight clothes, but I did because I wanted to look cute and I didn't want anyone to see the, the, the purple and the red swatches and the swollenness under mm-hmm. clothes. And so I hit it. It wasn't actually invisible. If you saw it, you might have that reaction, but not actually say it, but have that kind of shock reaction that that woman had. 
Um, but I hid it for a very long time, um, both with clothes and with just not telling anyone how in mm. pain I was in because I didn't want to not be t- taken seriously. Um, so, but everything I was doing to hide it was literally not just causing me pain in the moment, but causing permanent blood vessel damage oh. because every time I get a vasculitis outbreak, and I didn't know this at the time, I wasn't, because doctors don't, as much as doctors know now, back then, you know, 10 years ago, they, there's so much less they didn't know. So it wasn't like I was purposely hurting myself. I was right. just trying to not, not show the world what, you know, sure. abnormal. Um, but knowing now what I know, every time I get a vasculitis outbreak, um, my vessels break. And so the, the walls of my blood vessels weaken and it becomes easier and easier each time for me to get a vasculitis outbreak because they become so weak from all the breakage. Um, so I was literally not just hiding it to, you know, appear possibly non-disabled or mm-hmm. I was also literally causing damage to myself. So, um, you know, I, turn, I think it was before I turned 30, but my late twenties, I was just like, this is ridiculous. I'm mm-hmm. going to, I'm going to take care of myself, um, my health above all else. Um, I'm going to wear, um, clothes that reveal my legs. I'm going to wear shorts because getting hot is really bad for my vasculitis. It's a trigger. Um, wearing anything tight is a trigger and will break my vessels. So pretty much sure. I'm just like, I was like, I was done with it. I'm going to I'm going to expose my skin to the world because that is the least that, that keeping my skin cool and exposed and wearing loose clothes is the best yeah. thing I can do to not get a vasculitis outbreak. So anyway, there was that in the past of trying to hide it, but now, you know, for, for quite a while, I have stopped doing that. So yes, I go out and I have vasculitis outbreaks all the time. Um, mostly people don't mention it, but this woman happened to mention it. Um, so she asked what it was. I started to say, oh, I have an autoimmune disease. I have Sjogren's syndrome and it causes vasculitis. Before I could even explain what that was. Oh, I can heal you. I can heal you. She did not tell you about essential oils, did she? <laughs> That's the thing. Yes, the essential oils and the energy work and the green juices and the acupuncture. It's oh. like literally someone who is in chronic pain, everyday pain that causes brain fog and that affects your ability to think, your ability to do any of the things you love, you are going to literally try anything out there from, you know, traditional Western medicine to Mm -hmm. Eastern medicine. And I have tried all of the things, you know, the the acupuncture and the Reiki and the green juices and the herbs and the tonics. Um, And the thing is, is that there is value in many of these things, Mm -hmm. but some of them, you know, made it worse. Some, some of them made it a little bit better. Um, but same thing goes for Western medicine. And it's pretty much, I have this disease um, and we need to get rid of the, the mindset of healing me. Um, there are things that I can do to, um, to cope. We you know whether it's bringing memory foam pillows with me when I'm going to have to sit on a hard surface, mm-hmm. whether it is drinking a green juice because it's going to cool me in the moment and I need to stay cool. Or CBD, um, the- that's another one. Yes, CB. Yeah, like all of these things have value. Um, But even, I mean, like people telling me to give my dog CBD because um, I say how panicked she gets with the fire attack. I mean, fire, fireworks, fire literally attacking her. Yeah. Her her poor little system of uh, her nervous system. Um, It's just like, yes, I give her CBD every day and it's very good for her and it helps 
um, keep her joints good, but it does not do anything for her stress. Um, that's another level of stress. And I mean, some dogs, maybe it helps with their stress for her. It doesn't. Um, but there's just this, I actually, I interviewed, um, the author of a book, um, about chronic illness for bitch media, um, Megan O'Rourke, um, mm-hmm. it's called the Invisible Kingdom. And she, um, has lived with, um, invisible illness for so long. Um, and she just says that because, um, our own immune system is attacking ourselves with autoimmune disease, there's this, this thinking that, oh, since it's our immune system, we must be able to reverse it ourselves. Right. Um, and then the blame is put on the sufferer as oh. though like, you're, you know, you're not trying hard enough. You're not, um, healing yourself. You're not, you know, doing this. this if you would just do this one thing and, and this why one essential doing? oil, and it's always one more thing. And then you try the thing and that doesn't work. And then there's another thing. And I just really think we need to get away of the thinking that, you know, we should heal ourselves because it's, it's very maddening because it makes, it makes you feel like you're failing when it doesn't work. Why isn't this essential oil working for me? Why isn't acupuncture just getting rid of my disease? I'm going to reference another one of my episodes that I did recently called The Universe Doesn't Have Your Back. And I know it's a funny title, but it was based (laughs) on a very similar conversation of people that have, and it was with my my friend, Drew Linsalata, who's my podcast producer, and he also has a podcast called The Anxious Truth. And the point of that being that a lot of this manifest mindset uh, a lot of it is also rooted in racism, quite frankly, because it's like, oh, if you just, you know, thought of this, you could just kind of, you know, you're, you're getting treated poorly because you don't, you know, thoughts turn to things. That's one. And then it just, there's, a, there's a lot of privilege that's baked into that. And then the other piece is same thing, similar as talking to people that have anxiety or OCD or things that are so hard to control. So telling them if they just CBD <laughs> did essential mm-hmm. oils. And honestly, people just need to stay the fuck out of everybody's business. I'm just going to, I'm going to boil it down for you all. No, that Um, is a perfect way to boil it down. It is. I mean, empathy is beautiful and empathy and listening and and holding space for someone. Tell me about that. And and if they, if you wanted to offer and say, you know, I've tried a lot of different things, but quite frankly, we really need to get away from that because then you have to spend your time explaining to that person and making them feel better about why and let's face it, a lot of it is based in MLM bullshit. And so it's not based on helping you. It's based on making a fucking sale. Ooh, girl, I forgot to tell you that this, <laughs> this is, everybody knows where their, their headphones for a podcast, but I just, I want to get this emphatic for, for you on this point of it's the same thing of, of this, this automatic offering. Uh, it's offensive and it's assuming, it's assuming that person has not taken control of their health and that's not fair. Yeah, it's really not fair. And also, as you're saying, there's so much privilege in that. I mean, I literally, I could have bought a house with all of the money that I have spent over the decades um, since I was a kid trying all of these things that people tell me to try. I mean, acupuncture is incredibly expensive. All of these alternative treatments, um, I mean, that's something that the author of the book um, that I read that I mentioned, The Invisible Kingdom, Megan O'Rourke mentioned, she talks about her extreme privilege in being able to try all of these outlandish treatments and to go to all these expensive doctors. Go to Um, Whole Foods, going to Whole Foods. I mean, my God, you need to take out a mortgage. I just went yesterday and was like, holy shit, this is pricey. And there's wonderful things. But again, and, and a lot of, here's the other piece too, a lot of this isn't regulated. 
right? So there's claims being made on very expensive things that, yes, if you're in pain, you'll do anything to not be in pain. You really will. It's you really will. Um, And there's also just um, such a stigma of being in pain and, you know, whether you should just fight through the pain um, or deal with it naturally. I mean, I went until I was 30 years old and I was repeatedly in the in and out of the ER and hospitalized um, because I just thought that, oh, I'm going to tough, tough through the pain. That's just what you do. Um, and a doctor offered me morphine and I was like, oh my God, this is what it's like to not experience a 10 level of pain every second of every day. Why was Holy I pushing shit. myself? Why was I torturing myself all this time? And it's because, you know, doctors are telling me I'm not in pain when I'm telling them I am in pain. And there's this like vicious cycle of trying to prove, okay, well, um, you know, you don't think I'm in pain. So I'll try to do my things and just like fight through the pain to prove that I can do it. And it's just the same thing with women trying to be polite because that's been ingrained on us to be polite. It's also been, we've been socialized to be okay with being in pain, just like the article I wrote about period pain. Yes. Um, I was just going to bring that up. Oh my gosh. I I love that you took on that topic. um, (laughs) And it's great. It's, it's, um, crazy how controversial it is because so many feminists think the idea of um, taking time off for your period and being paid for that time off is going to make women look weak. Um, And then there's these old school feminists who are like, you know, well, I, I suffered terribly for decades and you should too, basically. Um, Like if you go into the Facebook page of my good house, keeping article it's ridiculous the amount of trolls um just in terms of like terse you know the answer that i use inclusive language because not everyone who gets a period is a woman there's not binary people Did that and, that made people all but hurt oh yes yes there's uh, yeah the tra- transphobic comments and then there's just all these feminists who are just pretty much saying you know i suffered horribly um and some of them go on to describe how debilitating their periods were, but they still think that it is, you know, so weak and, you know, we're just so sensitive nowadays. And I just mm, feel I like- I can just hear it. Oh. That, argu- that argument that I suffered, therefore you should too, is just not the argument that we should be having. It should be, why did I have to suffer? Why, just like me, why did I let myself be in pain and not accept pain medication mm-hmm. for almost my, you know, for you know, from seven to age 30, why did I do that to myself? And there's so much stigma around, and I, I know it from being in the cannabis and CBD world for a while, not with an MLM, thank goodness. I'm allergic to MLMs basically. But, um, you know, in that world where everybody did kind of try to throw like, oh my God, get off your you know, get off your uh, depression medication, like these really dangerous pieces of advice. And um I'm going to read this real quick. I'm going to read you to you. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is why you at some feminists argue that paid time off makes women look weak. That will result in less women hired other rising. I love that menstruators and taking us away from our true equality. If parity existed, the special treatment argument might have some validity. 
hello, but in a world where <laughs> equality does not exist, where women are paid 82 cents on the dollar for every dollar earned by men, by the way, that's white women. Let's just- Yes, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, and I, I, we're working in tandem on this and I love it. Why, uh, why should people who menstruate work through pain just because it's deemed the norm? So that's what I love too, because I, I see what- what they're, what the problem is, the naysayers are like, we need to focus on bigger picture. If I had to deal with that work that like, you're not focusing on the right thing, but this last sentence too, of why, why should people who menstruate work through pain just because it's deemed the norm. This is what I want to encourage people. And this is what all of your writing does too, is to break out of that norm because it's, it's not working. It's not getting us anything except feeling frustrated because we've been kowtowing to saying it the right way, not hurting feelings, right? Waiting for everyone to be on board. And I, you know, that's the reason why I started this podcast is going through my, my menopause experience and feeling completely ill-prepared. And I still do. And it's been the six, seven years that I've been in perimenopause and then now I'm in full menopause but I still talk to people and have these conversations of how ill-prepared we are and how uninformed we are because doctors don't want to either deal with it or they want to make it the norm. That's my soapbox. I'm sticking to it. Thanks for coming to my Ted talk, everybody. (laughs) Um, But but you're absolutely correct. I don't know if you read an article in the Washington post that Jennifer Weiss Wolf and she had a co-author, but it's all about menopause and the lack of research um is just so wrong like we just we if you you should read the article if you haven't oh seen gosh it. please send it to me and, and yes, I'll post, I will say- I'll, yes i'll post the 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 links in all of these links that we're talking about including the name of the book including all of the articles that that you have written and i, I do want to touch on the recent article that you did with the young man who was fired from a job or fired from the play um because of uh, they they didn't realize he was autistic. So we, I want to, I want to touch on that here in a second, but it, that is, I bet that article has got it. It's probably make me all fired up because it's, it's oh, half, yeah. half the population. Good. Here we go. Or yeah. is going to go through menopause or yeah, will go and through menopause. Just, and she's writing a book and um, she's a lawyer. So her mm. focus is on the legislation of it. Ooh, I need to talk just, to her. It's infuriating to read and blood boiling just in terms of I don't know the statistics to tell you off the top of my head, but just in terms of that, we just decided, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago to stop researching this or to um, stop giving, you know, hormonal um, replacements. And, but why? And uh, it just goes into like, you know, they were told it was going to be so dangerous for us, but that's not Mm -hmm. actually true, but we haven't done anything to rectify the fact that people think it's dangerous. And there's just, it's just infuriating. So I just wanted to, you should read the article because it said, I didn't write it. So I don't have all the facts right in my head, but you need to read it. And it's just such an important topic because it it really, um, it is because you're going to go through it. I'm going through it. And it's there, there's a silence, those uh, silos of silence. I like to call it of, you know, this, this is what I'm going through. So I'm not going to talk about it. And I've been even having conversations with my mom, who's 82 now, of what her experience was and even what her experience was being uh, a Catholic woman in the sixties and then being the oldest of nine children of a Catholic mother in the Midwest and um, you know, what, what that's all like too, but, but, but definitely on the, the menopause piece, I think that is just such a thing to be discussed because it, I, there's a company I do 
hormone replacement therapy pellets now. They're a company called Pellicom. I love them. Please message me if you want information. They're P-E-L-L-E-C-O-M-E. I am not paid to talk about this, <laughs> but my hot flashes sure as fuck are because I don't have them anymore. Right. And and it was amazing that they they did talk about that they did stop with the hormone replacement therapy under the guise of being safer for women, right? And then just yanked that away from a whole generation of women and gave them nothing. You know, we had a little small period of time and then said, oh my gosh, no, it's causing cancer. Didn't do any of the research. And, and it just here. stopped at whatever point that they stopped um, recommending the hormonal replacement, all the research, all the funding just stopped. And, we, yes. and there's, there could have been so much um, knowledge that could have been accumulated between now and then that just hasn't been. And it's it, just, it, it's crazy. And I'll, I'll post, I'll post a link that Dr. Enrique Jacome is the, the gentleman that came up with this new, the, the, Pelicum is a new way to actually do the insertion for the pellets, but he's a gynecologist and he does talk about that too, of like, yeah, how it, how it just stops. So anyway, and as always, first of all, we're talking with Brianna Prooker. If you're just tuning in, rewind <laughs> all the way to the beginning. And I also want to encourage if you do not have a uterus uh, and you do identify as just a white cis hetero male, don't fucking tune out for God's sake, get in with us. Get in with us. You, you, I shouldn't have to tell you this, but you know and love women, so get your shit together. Anywho, seriously, <laughs> that's, that, that, is, that is my my PSA of the day. And then tell me about the article that you wrote recently with the the young man, the actor. Let's talk about that because that was also a that was a bias. That was quite frankly sounded illegal for him yeah, to be fired. Um, yeah. Um, well, he, it was, um, he wasn't fired. He was not hired. I was me. He was, was not fired. Okay. Was, yeah, it was oh, me. I'm he sorry. was fired. That was you. <laughs> yeah, I was fired. Yeah, I, um, sorry about that. Yes. Oh, so I used gosh. to be an actor um, and I was fired from a leading role in a play. Um, people had already bought tickets specifically to see me. There was press coming. Um, but I happened to tell the director that I have an invisible illness. And suddenly it wasn't a person. I was a liability. And a casting call went out for my role that very night that I had told her that I have this invisible illness. Um, So I was fired. Um, Mickey Rowe, who is an autistic actor, he's legally blind autistic actor. He he got himself an audition for Broadway um, to play um, an autistic character. He's autistic. He's legally blind. He... He didn't have an agent. He lived in Seattle, um, but he he Googled uh, the casting director. He sent an email. There's a whole long, really cute, charming story of how he got himself an audition to be the lead role um, in The Curious Incident of the Dog of the Nighttime on Broadway. Um, he made it to the final round of casting, um, but he talked to me and he said that, you know, I was treated very differently than the couple other actors who were... Um, in the final running for this role, um, he said that the casting and producers um, director talked to me as though I was maybe in the make, a Make-A-Wish Foundation um, recipient, um, that, you know, they wanted to give me an experience of auditioning for Broadway rather than, you know, no, I'm talented. I did the work. I'm here. I'm in the final round of casting. Mm-hmm. He said that they would just pull, pull him aside and talk to him as though, you know, they're as though he wasn't really in the running, even though he eventually 
he did get the part on Broadway, but he got the part. He got a glowing review in the New York Times for doing it. Um, and being, he became the first autistic actor to play the statistic role. Um, he did it at Syracuse stage and the New York Times reviewed it and got glowing reviews. Um, so obviously he was talented enough to play the part, but he said that, you know, he kept getting pulled aside and having all these very long exhaustive conversations, which for an autistic person um, is very draining um, to make small chat, small chat, um, to just be chattering rather than actually, you know, auditioning rather than doing the work that he can do and is talented at doing. But he said that it was like they were trying to make sure he was autistic, but not too autistic, which is very infuriating oh, and very heartbreaking God. to hear him tell me that. That, um, that so is heartbreaking. I, yeah. I read his book and I just had to tell his story because um, it's just, it's almost like Broadway wanted to be seen as being inclusive, as having auditioned an actually autistic person and as long as they say you know we auditioned him he made the final callbacks you know yay us you know we're checking that diversity box um he you know it the show actually closed on broadway before um anything happened with that but then he was asked to be to audition for the national broadway tour and again he made the final auditions but um they were double casting the role and None of, you know, none of the actors were actually autistic or actually disabled. Um, so I wanted to tell his story um, because it's infuriating and Broadway really needs to be more inclusive generally. I mean, in terms of race, in terms of gender, in terms of <laughs> all kinds of inclusivity. But often we don't talk about um, disability when we talk about diversity. And um, it's just such really a great point. Conversation. Yana. Yes. And, and because it, there's that. It, and it's not a fine line, but they they mistook pandering for diversity, right? So yeah. they're wasting his time. And what an interesting point. You're right as far as the the process that he had to go to this uh, this aimless chatter just to get it to, to verify if he is. And that must have just been. I could just feel his energy must have been draining, and it must have been discouraging. That hurts my heart. It really does. I mean, just, you know, you and I have talked about being empathic, like how much energy it can take to have these kind of conversations and to take on other people's pain. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're, if Judgment. you have empathy, it, it, it can be just very, very draining, even as a non-autistic person, but just you add all of everything that comes with being autistic onto that and how draining it is. Um, and he just told me that it was almost like he, they wanted to, him to prove that he was so-called high functioning autism, which is just a terrible label to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, it's just horrible. Um, it's just that you're autistic or you're not autistic and let's stop um, putting these judgments on. Labels, categories. Labels, categorizing yeah. your disability or your just humanness. Mm. Um, it's just really, um, it's really heartbreaking to hear. Thank you for and that I reminder. Wanted, I wanted to write about it. Yes. And thank you for that reminder about that distinction, because I know, and I am constantly learning, um, there are just labels that we put on things to, to soften or to, to, to pigeonhole people as well. And that's such a great reminder of like using things like that. Oh, but they are X, Y, Z. They are high functioning. Oh, but you can't tell. I mean, <laughs> the pressure of, of that kind of thing. I went to this event yesterday. It was just beautiful a presentation here in, in Colorado. And it was a called the, it was a mudra presentation 
the family were all from India. So that was their dance company. And then they, and it was a very diverse though. It was, it was just beautiful. And the one thing I loved is there was a young man they brought on stage, had to be about 14 or 15. And he had one of the, the uh, in, uh, instructors with him. And um, I believe that he couldn't, that he visually impaired and he, they just, the way she held him and his feet were stomping and he was singing and just that representation of this young man's beautiful voice and message that he had to be, had to hear because I believe he, I don't believe that he actually spoke that much, but when he heard the singing, I just could not take my eyes off of seeing him be able to express his talent and that they gave him that space and brought him out there. So that representation piece is, is so incredibly important. So thank you for for bringing that up about him. And um, we're going to start wrapping up, but I wanted to bring up something that I kind of put together for you that I love. I saw in one of your, one of the things that you said, because of chronic illness, you said this in your interview, and I want to post that with the two young ladies talking about the not being nice article that you wrote. Oh, yeah. Oh, in, in L, I'm going to, you all have to read this every age because these young women are 30 years younger than me. And, and we're all still learning a lot of the same shit that, that society is on their bullshit all the time, whether it was before social media or not. But I love that you stated because of chronic illness, you only write about the things that you care about because it takes too much energy out of you. And I, I just want to just tell you how much I appreciate that you've been able to parlay um, a lot of your pain. And I'll post a link to that. I actually interviewed your mom. That's how we, we, I didn't realize that we knew each other. I interviewed your mom for another show about like 10 years ago about your childhood. Uh, So shout out to your mom. And if you like, we can mention her name or at least her experience. And, you know, they, they made a lifetime movie channel out of it. So in addition to what you were going through as a child, you, I, I see why it was put on the back burner to figure out about your pain. Yeah. Um, experience. So, yeah. And yeah, as you say, you know, I, you know, I only have so much, um, energy in a day. There's only so much writing I can do without being just an unbearable amount of pain. Um, but you know, I do have a voice and I want to use it for what matters to me and what's most important, whether that's talking about domestic violence or chronic illness, chronic pain, disability, um, gender, um, obviously let's run the gamut today yes. because I write about, there's quite a few things I'm passionate about, but yes, I only really want to, because I do devote so much time and energy to these things. It's mm-hmm. not just an easy piece that I'm going to write off quickly. I want to do all the research and talk to all the people and make sure that I'm talking to a diverse group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it takes a lot of energy, but um, I it does. things I care. I want to write about the things I care about. So I pick and choose very carefully. Yes. And I was working out and listening to that. And I literally like stopped and ran over to my computer and wrote down that just that really struck me. And I, I just think that's so beautiful that you've, you've like I said, parlayed that into using your voice and then using your voice carefully. And when you do speak, you really, really mean it. And I, I love that you you cover women in media, theater, arts, accessibility, gender bias in medicine, health, chronic pain, disability, feminism, domestic violence, gender female leaders and politics. So we're going to post some links to that. You just finished a, an article for that for Shondaland as well. I mean, you're, you're in it. Did It came out today. It was very exciting. I just got to, I never know when it's going to come out and it came out today. So it was very exciting. Um, Yeah. I I interviewed Broadway star, Ali Stroker, who was the first, um, 
person in a wheelchair to appear on Broadway. And then she made history once again by becoming the first person in a wheelchair to win the Tony Award. She won for playing Edo Annie in Oklahoma. (laughs) And I talked to her for a Shondaland about a children's book that she wrote called Allie and the Sea Stars. Um, And it's about a girl with a disability who puts on a play um, on the beach with her friends. And so it's giving disability visibility um, in her book. Um, Mm. And then obviously by her being on stage, it's giving... um, disability visibility to people I love who, that. you know, haven't seen themselves on stage or haven't seen themselves represented in a book. Which I love you giving disability visibility. That is fabulous. And by the way, thanks for the grace. And I mixed up that story there a little bit ago. If you're like, no, that was me. That got <laughs> I was the one who got fired. You didn't get hired. I was the one who got fired. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Sweetie, thank you so much. Where can we find you? And I, again, I will post all the links in the podcast, but tell us where you would like for us to go follow you. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm at Bree Crooker because for some reason, Instagram said that my full name, Brianna, was in use, which it wasn't. But I went with Bree Crooker because that's all they would let me do. Mm-hmm. I'm also on Twitter as Bree Crooker, just B-R-I-P-R-O-O-K-E-R. I'm on Facebook as my full name, Brianna Crooker, um, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. and just check me out on Brie or Brianna Fricker. <laughs> yes. I love that. Twitter's been uh, great to follow you on that too. One last question and we're going to get out of here. Tell me what your favorite swear word or swear phrase is. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, I um, don't just one swear phrases like very, very often. So when mm-hmm. I do, it's like very serious. It's kind of the thing of like, I don't write very many articles um, a year, but when I write about it, it's something important. So I would say probably fuck off. It would be my favorite. <laughs> That's all you need to say. And when you say <laughs> it, you really, 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 really need it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, honey. Thank you for joining us today and sharing all your good info. I so appreciate you. Thank you. I so appreciate you too. I'm so grateful that we got to chat and discuss all of these really important things. I love serendipity. Thank you, sweetie. Thank you very much, Mia. Take care. Take care. You will definitely want to follow Brianna and check out her writing. All the links are in the show notes at shitwedonttalkaboutpodcast.com. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave a review, especially if it's a good one. If you really like the podcast and you want to show it, head on over to shitwedonttalkaboutpodcast.com, click on the Patrons button, and become a full-time supporter of the podcast. And if you want your very own podcast and you don't know where to start, go to helix-interactive.com, get yourself some, and tell them that Mia sent you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bye.